How does a surgical unit operate in remote battle locations? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Colonel Robert Rush, Staff Surgeon in the Department of Surgery, Madigan Army Medical Center, and Adjunct Assistant Professor of Surgery at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences, Bethesda, Maryland, and currently deployed on a disaster response team in Honduras. Welcome, Colonel Rush. Thank you. Today we are discussing far-forward surgery. Colonel Rush, what is far-forward surgery? Far-forward surgery is the ability for a surgeon or a surgical team to perform vital and life-saving surgeries in an area that is away from any fixed hospital for the most part and in austere environments in the support of usually military operations and battles. So this is very different than the mobile surgical unit. The forward surgical support in military operations usually involves a couple of types of units. I'm going to concentrate mostly on the Army unit because that's what I'm most familiar with. The forward surgical team is a more robust team. This type of unit goes out and supports brigade size units or higher in, in the most cases, three to 5,000 men that are involved in battles or are performing patrols in enemy territory. This unit has 20 personnel and augments what's called a brigade aid station, which is another 30 personnel, and has four surgeons, two anesthetists, a variety of nurses and medical technicians that perform many life-saving surgeries at a time. How do you physically set up this unit? Basically, using the manpower involved in the unit itself. Now, sometimes they are dependent upon some forms of transportation, such as airplanes, to get them into the theater of battle. But once in the theater of battle, they are completely self-sufficient on their own ground mobility assets, such as Humvees or trucks. Well, describe what it looks like. What kind of equipment do you have? What is an operating room there like? The operating room there usually consists of two to three operating room tables, although it can be as small as a one-room operating room. Usually the tables are in the same tent or area because of the constraints on space that most of these teams find themselves in. And sometimes there are two to three cases going on simultaneously. And in addition to that, there's usually a section where we perform our initial stabilization and triage of the incoming casualties. In addition to those two sections, there is a recovery room area that is usually separate from the other two. And here we recover the patients for a period of anywhere from two to up to 24 hours, although ideally these units are dependent upon evacuating these casualties out of their areas in six to eight hours. Six to eight hours after their injury? Six to eight hours after they have completed the surgical procedures. That's incredibly fast. How is that able to be done? You got to remember that these units are highly dependent upon further evacuation. If we have to keep patients for over eight to 12 hours, then our staff 
the nurses and technicians and doctors who are caring for these patients begins to get tired and we begin to run out of supplies. Usually, the evacuation process is managed through the theater evacuation assets. Sometimes, depending on where the location of the forward surgery is taking place, this can be done very easily through fixed-wing evacuation assets through the Air Force. If they are unavailable, then usually we have to call in rotary-wing evacuation assets that can transport the patient from the far forward area back to a combat support hospital, which is a very robust surgical and medical asset. So on the average, you're not there for a terribly long period of time? That is the doctrinal design, is that we're supposed to be there for certainly no more than a week. However, forward surgical teams and currently operating in the Middle East are deployed there for 15 months and they are taking care of contingency-type missions. That means just in case someone does get hurt in their area, they can perform their life-saving surgeries on these soldiers and patients. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Colonel Robert Rush, staff surgeon in the Department of Surgery, Madigan Army Medical Center, adjunct assistant professor of surgery at the Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences, Bethesda, Maryland, and he is currently deployed on a disaster response team in Honduras. Today we are discussing far forward surgery. Colonel Rush, what do you do in these situations when perhaps you are overwhelmed in terms of casualties? In the case where we are overwhelmed with casualties, which we call a mass casualty situation, there are several principles that must be applied. The first principle is to do the most good for the most people who are injured. That can sometimes mean that those who are injured and unlikely to survive but still alive may go to the priority that is below that of which we know we can save someone. An instance of this can be someone who is suffering a gunshot wound to the head, for instance, and if there are other patients who have uh, lesser wounds, such as a gunshot wound to the leg who is bleeding out from that extremity, can be easily addressed with a tourniquet that would be applied first before you would, and that patient would be stabilized before you move on to the patient with the gunshot wound to the head if you are overwhelmed with other casualties at the same time. Who makes those decisions? Usually it is the senior surgeon in the unit who makes those decisions, and it's usually the commander of the unit. Well, what kind of surgeries do you actually do there? We have done surgeries that range from a simple appendectomy due to the fact that we sometimes have to do these in a far forward area because of lack of transportation back to hospitals where this can be performed in the usual manner, to life-saving procedures such as repairing major arteries to limbs, repairing injuries to the heart, repairing injuries to the abdominal viscera, liver injuries or solid organ injuries, and on occasion we have to perform craniotomies in order to decompress epidural hematomas, 
and other types of these um, advanced life-saving surgeries. Now, you mentioned, if, if I recall, there are four surgeons there? On the forward surgical team, there are four surgeons. Are those all general surgeons? Three general surgeons on the forward surgical team and an orthopedic surgeon. Well, then who's doing the craniotomies? Usually it's a combination of the general surgeon and or the orthopedic surgeon or two general surgeons helping each other out. So you certainly are doing a broad range of surgery, not just the typical general surgery that's done in the States. Correct. You are right in the middle of the battlefield, right? We are usually behind the front lines in a traditional type battlefield. However, in this particular type of conflict we're dealing with the Middle East right now, we're usually stationed at a forward operating base, usually surrounded by a robust security force. However, there are incidences where the mortars and rocket-propelled grenades can penetrate the perimeter and land close by. Has that ever happened? Yes, it has. There was an instance which I can be very nonspecific about that occurred to us in one of our forward operating bases where the enemy, I'll call them, attempted to penetrate our perimeter while we were operating on another soldier who had sustained injuries from a previous battle. During this period of time, we had to put on all of our protective gear to include our flak vests while we were performing the surgery due to the fact that rounds were coming over top of our uh, facility, although none penetrated. While I have not experienced actual loss of our unit or damage to our unit as far as from mortar or gunfire, there have been surgical units who have had this happen. So you actually had protective gear on while you were operating? That's correct. How do you concentrate on what you're doing surgically when you're in risk of your own life? The principles involved in that are if we can at all end the surgical case, we attempt to do so in that situation. However, waking someone up from an anesthetic is not always immediate. So we first have to ensure personal safety by putting on our own personal protective gear as well as trying to place the patient in the best location possible for his or her protection. And then if we can at all stop the procedure, we will attempt to do so as quickly as possible in knowing that we may have to come back to do more once the battle or firefight ends. We are also very dependent on those members of the team who are not intimately involved in the operation to provide security as well as further protection from the ongoing firefight. Colonel, how do they provide the security for you? Well, the best way to do this is to either return fire on the enemy who is approaching and try to build makeshift concealment and cover positions that can protect the individuals operating. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Colonel Robert Rush, staff surgeon in the Department of Surgery, Madigan Army Medical Center, adjunct assistant professor of surgery at the Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences, Bethesda, Maryland, and he is currently deployed on a disaster response team in Honduras. Today we are discussing far-forward surgery. Colonel, you seem quite calm and contained. The first time you were ever in a situation that was like this, how, how do you keep from being unnerved? That is a good question. You really never know how you're going to act until 
you're presented in that situation. The training that we receive in the Army sometimes helps us prepare for that. But the best thing you can do is maintain personal protective stance as well as unit prepared positions ahead of time in order to try to minimize the impact of incidents like this. In other words, when you move in and you're initially setting up your unit, and if you have any downtime at all, it's used in fortifying your position so that when this event does occur, that you are more ready for it and prepared. I want to thank Colonel Robert Rush, who has been our guest. We have been discussing far forward surgery. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157 the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.